Good afternoon. I'm Brett McGarry. He is Greg Mackling. And before we do anything, I just need to point out a fresh traffic note from one of our listeners. There has been a crash at Pipeline and the Perimeter. A semi and a vehicle are involved in that. So once again, Pipeline and the Perimeter. Don't know exactly uh, which lanes, which direction, but a semi versus vehicle in that spot. And as well, of course, there was a pedestrian hit by a car on Marion late this morning on Marion between Braemar and Traverse. So police are going to hold the news conference at 1.30 this afternoon uh, to give an update on that situation. They've confirmed that there is a fatality involved in that situation, correct, Brett? Yes, a pedestrian has been killed in that in that crash. So we will be providing an update on that. Uh, Keith McCullough is on his way down to get the latest information on that situation. Uh, it is a little unusual that uh, police are holding a news conference on this. I know that uh, Rob Carver recently spoke to Clay Young about trying to get out there into the community more when there is a, a serious situation. So we'll find out if there's more uh, to this tragedy. I mean, not that it isn't a uh, big enough story as itself when a pedestrian is killed, but it is still an unusual step for the police to take this, uh, to go this way and have a news conference. Communication uh, clearly becoming an even larger priority for the Winnipeg Police Service. As you mentioned, uh, we will uh, monitor the response there, and if we need to, we will go live uh, to the uh, news conference regarding this uh, tragic situation on Winnipeg City Streets. Louis Escobar who is the transportation manager for the city of Winnipeg, joins us in studio now. Louis, great to see you again. Thank you for doing this. Thank you for the invitation, guys. Uh, it's always great to be here with you. Well, our, our listeners are, are lined up with uh, lots of questions, and uh, I've got some for you, and, and Brett does as well. Uh, city of Winnipeg infrastructure and the engineering of traffic lights and, and, and rules is a topic of discussion. Uh, well, it's really like shooting fish in a barrel, let's be honest. <laughs> Everybody has an opinion, and everyone has a situation that they are curious about. Are you uh, the traffic center? Let's start there. Okay. Is this something that uh, is making a big difference in our lives in terms of traffic volume and how it's being managed? Oh, it certainly is. Um, you know, uh, with a record funding um, included in um, the current capital program for infrastructure, um, it's becoming a lot more challenging to make sure that people travel uh, to work or, or from work to home uh, in a predictable manner and uh, within the shortest amount of time. So the, tra- the Transportation Management Center came in at the right time to make sure that uh, we minimize all those uh, changes or variations in uh, traffic as a result of all the construction work. Um, we put out a lot of information um, that uh, probably you, you, you or uh, some of your colleagues, uh, colleagues uh, pick up on uh, social media. Uh, we started with uh, just a little uh, uh, tweet, and then we went to adding pictures, and now we're we have gone to the point where we're even uh, tweeting uh, small two, three, four second clips, uh, showing information to the public. We're also heavily connected with uh, Waze, um, uh, the free app that uh, helps uh, people who are driving to get to their destinations uh, through the uh, quickest route possible. So we had you on about a month ago. We had you on. We spoke to you over the phone. We sort of dubbed it a segment called Winnipeg's Traffic Curiosities because Mm -hmm. I just was always curious about a couple of spots and I thought, well, let's just ask the city. And you came on and uh, we had some fun and we got all sorts of questions from listeners. Now, the one that uh, just sort of resetting the table for our listeners on that front, the the question for me was Cordon Avenue, turning on to Cordon Avenue from Confusion Corner. If you are not familiar with it or maybe a little bit, if you are 
on Pembina. So you've just come off, whether you're coming off of Osborne or Donald and heading towards Pembina and Cordon. If you want to turn right onto Cordon, the stop line is about four car lengths away from the turn. So sometimes I see people turning right on that red. I never knew that I could. We asked Louie, mm-hmm. and he said, yes, you can. It just is. It feels weird doing it. Correct. Yes. But you can do it. So that triggered a whole sort of avalanche <laughs> of questions from listeners, and a lot of them had to do with right turns on red. Mm-hmm. You know, we were sort of criticized. Remember that one grumpy texter who said, this is just basic driver's head knowledge. Come on, guys, you're dumb. <laughs> no, it's not. And one listener has sort of summed it up nicely. Any double right turn lane. So with no sign, you should be able to turn from the curb lane, but how about the median lane? This listener was told not. So can you sort of figure that out or solve that riddle for us? Well, uh, you can turn right if there are signs that tell you that, tell you, that you can turn right. Uh, you cannot turn right from that second lane if there is a sign that says that you cannot. So uh, in the absence of signs, you turn right, as the Highway Traffic Act indicates, from the rightmost lane. From the rightmost lane? Yes. So let's say now, now there are a number of examples where, where this is a situation, Greg. One that is closer to home for you, which is where? That's the Chief Peguis Trail eastbound at La Jumogere. You have two turning lanes because Chief Peguis Trail dead ends at Lage. Mm-hmm. And so there is a red light there which controls the traffic coming off the trail onto mm-hmm. La Jumogere. But there is no sign that says no right-hand turn on red. Okay. So does that mean both lanes of traffic would yeah. be permiss- It would be permissible to turn right on red or just the curb lane? No, it would be probably both signs because they're both both uh, lanes because there would be either a sign. Um, there could be a, a, a number of signs that you, you probably have over there. There might be a, a what we call lane designation signs. So they they are uh, white signs on sorry uh, yeah um, white signs on on black uh, on a black background that show what each lane does, or there might be a, a, a white sign with a green, with a black arrow with inside a, a green circle that uh, that is a, a direction designation sign, which, has, which says every lane has to do this. So it would be a sign that says to right, or there's a checkerboard sign uh, that uh, has an arrow in it. So, a checkerboard sign. Yeah. yeah. Uh, usually, you find those at uh, at um, T intersections or uh, streets a gen- that have a, a dead genuine end. dead end. Correct. Okay. Uh, so you may have one, uh, a number of those signs, um, or the signal uh, heads will have an arrow. Usually, we're trying to get rid of those uh, arrows uh, and use standard circular, circular green display and use signs instead. So one of those, any of those signs. Uh, are there or would be there. So that black, just to reconfirm, <laughs> that white background with the green circle around the right uh, the right turn mm-hmm. sign, that's your permission to turn yeah. right on red if it's safe and from either lane, as long Correct. as it doesn't say. Correct. Clearly the alternative would be no right-hand turn Correct. on red. Now one example where you can't turn right on red would be if you are on Furmore, Turning on to, I guess it's Dunkirk at that it's point, Dunkirk, right? Yeah, correct. And that's a no right turn on red. Correct. Why is that? Uh, because uh, the um, the the uh, there's a major um, uh, cycling facility or pedestrian cycling facility that crosses uh, that goes along 
uh, Fermor and then connects to uh, Dunkirk. Uh, and there's a major increase in uh, pedestrian cycling activity on that um, um, mixed-use uh, or shared-use um, uh, AT corridor. So we decided to, to prevent uh, right turns on red because uh, we wanted to minimize the, the conflict. Uh, probably five years ago, we, we used to allow it. Yeah, I remember that that used to be allowed and then was surprised when I saw that sign mm-hmm. and and it started the wheels turning probably four mm-hmm. or five years ago about, hmm, that means years ago I could have been turning right on red at this Correct. intersection. <laughs> yeah. And uh, so I'm glad we, we've had you on here to talk about this. Obviously, a big point of consternation for folks in Winnipeg has to do with traffic synchronization and I opened up. Uh, signal synchronization opened up asking you about the traffic center. And I have to say, if you'll allow me, when it first opened, the traffic center, we with a lot of fanfare, it felt like Portage Avenue was really like the route of choice for me to get mm-hmm. home from here through the Disraeli Freeway up Henderson Highway. And now I feel like we're stepping back again. Have there been things that you've tried and then backed off on? Uh, Talk about the philosophy of kind of wide open synchronization and what is the philosophy in terms of controlling the traffic? Do you want us going all the way from Polo Park to Portage and Maine without stopping? Or is there some method uh, methodology used to, to control where we stop along the way? Ideally, that would be um, uh, what we want to do. We want to make sure that you travel with the least number of stops uh, along your route. However, the difference between when the Transportation Management Center opened and now is uh, one or two orange signs that we have on the street. All the construction work uh, changes how people drive and changes the available routes that we have where we can divert traffic or, or keep traffic on those routes. So because of all the, the dynamics that go into construction sites, long-term, short-term, um, you know, we ourselves have probably uh, about 150 construction sites, which are at least uh, two to three weeks long. Sometimes are, you know, some are uh, throughout the whole summer. But in addition to that, all utilities go out and do their work as well, the majority of the work through summer. And those are three, four one, uh, days long, maybe a week long, uh, sort of a blitz in the downtown primarily. And then there's all the other construction sites from private uh, entities, which um, probably amount to over 200 at any given day. So all of that affects our ability to move uh, people through uh, downtown in particular. Uh, but also on on significant on major routes uh, uh, radially into downtown and across uh, uh, the city. So all of that um, makes it very difficult uh, to to make sure that you uh, have a, a, the shortest uh, time to to get to your uh, destination. However, uh, in the past last year, we were unable to do anything about it. We could we could definitely just see and not able to do anything because we didn't have the people or the technology to make sure that we could address problems in real time. Uh, now we have uh, signal timing engineers who look at uh, traffic on a, uh, on a, in, in real time um, and they adjust uh, the timing of signals uh, constantly. Um, we monitor um, all, of, all of the streets with uh, the over 75 cameras that we have uh, right now, and when they see something, they uh, the the TMC operators uh, call the guys uh, on the second floor and say, "Hey, there's a problem on Arlington. 
um, there's a stalled car. We need to, to, to adjust the signal timing, review the timing now and let me know so that we can have it ready. And usually they have uh, tweaked the timings probably within an hour or less. So they, they, they do all of those adjustments, but because of the sheer magnitude, things um, uh, are not as optimal as what you would see probably uh, in February or March or maybe in the fall when construction has uh, gone away. Louis Escobar is our guest. He is a transportation manager for the city of Winnipeg, and we're talking about sort of traffic curiosities in the city and just general traffic questions, and we have some questions at 204-780-6868, and we'll try to get to some of those. And on the subject of construction, I want to point out that we had a listener uh, call us at about 11.30 who pointed out that the traffic on La Jumaudière, Northbound traffic on La Jumaudière was backed up from Regent to Dawson Road. There, is, It's down to one lane between Dougald and Regent, and it is a nightmare even at not during rush hour. So if you are heading that way, you might want to reconsider, because I got stuck in that the other day, and it took 20 minutes to, take a, to do what should have taken two minutes. So it's a necessary <laughs> evil, construction. Go another way. Your forecast is coming up next. Brett McGarry with Greg Mackling and Louis Escobar is our in-studio guest. He is the transportation manager for the city of Winnipeg. We are revisiting a conversation we had approximately one month ago about Winnipeg traffic curiosities because there are some parts in the city where basic driver's ed doesn't necessarily apply and you kind of go, huh, what is the right answer here? For example, one thing that came up last time we had this chat was Arlington between Portage and Notre Dame. It's a wide street, but it's actually only one lane each way. A lot of people treat it as a two lane. Yep. And uh, that was that was a genuine curiosity for me because I always thought this is really tight for two lanes. Depending on wh- how much of a hurry I am, I will uh, treat it as a one lane or a two lane. <laughs> if I'm not in a hurry, I will stand my ground. Don't you know this is only one lane in each direction? And then when I'm feeling as though I need to get somewhere a little quicker, quicker, can't you move over? There's <laughs> enough room for both of us. <laughs> so Roger has been waiting patiently at 204 780-6868. Roger, what is your question for Louis Escobar about Winnipeg traffic curiosities? Well, it's more of a... Um, uh, oh, oh, by the way, hi, Mr. Escobar. Hello, Roger. Um, yes, it's more of a suggestion than a question. Mm. Um, it's to do with... Um, let me give you an example. Driving along the highway, perimeter highway, or, well, like um, La Jumaudière or Bishop Grandin, um, if you don't have a situation where you get those flashing amber lights to warn you of the light changing from green to amber, uh, you travel along Leisure Modier, you're doing 80 kilometers, you've got a green light, you're approaching it. Now, do I slow down or, or do I maintain my speed? And if you maintain 80 kilometers, you're almost there and the light turns yellow. Now, if you brake hard, <laughs> you... you you're going to have to break hard and end up possibly in the intersection or not make it through there on amber. My suggestion would be, how about this? A warning ahead of time. So when that light's green, you're looking at it. Now that light is green and the green light starts to flash for four seconds. Now you know you're going to get an amber coming up. So that gives you a chance to, you know, to make the um, a choice to um, maintain your speed or slow down because you know you're not going to make it through. If that green light flashed for about four seconds, the same time as you get the 
the amber through that intersection, I think that would be a great help because... All right, Roger, that's good enough. Thank you for your suggestion. And uh, let's get... Uh, what do you think of what Roger has to say, Louis? Uh, um, you know, other cities, I know in Mexico, they use that. Um, the uh, the way we time traffic signals is based on the Canadian standards. There's a big committee uh, the, uh, representing jurisdictions across Canada, provinces, cities, uh, re, uh, regional municipalities, uh, and um, we all uh, uh, follow the same rules when it comes to uh, timing traffic signals, uh, the, the, the same general rules. Um, and uh, there's a manual that is created, and we follow that manual. So um, even though I know in other cities, in other jurisdictions uh, outside of Canada, they use the flashing uh, green uh, to indicate that the green is actually ending or closing to, to, to the end of the phase, uh, we cannot use it uh, here in Winnipeg for that purpose. We do have, however, what we call um, um, all-way flashers. Uh, and that is um, those uh, overhead signs that we put or uh, roadside signs that we put with flashing beacons that tells you that uh, the green time is about to end. Now, the way we use those signs or those uh, lights, again, is is uh, based on the Canadian uh, guidelines that we follow. And um, unlike the province, we... We, we follow all of the uh, requirements associated with how those lights are installed. When you have um, signals, uh, on, on say, on the perimeter, there's a very long distance between traffic signals compared to within the city uh, associated with uh, the installation of those signals. So the province uh, has the ability to install them pretty much at every signalized intersection that they have. Here in the city, we don't have that. So only at certain locations we're, we're able to install them, but not at all of them. Well, we have to take a break, but when we come back, I want to ask you about exactly that, that Patterson Street slash Camp Fontaine Drive on Lajemodier, you have those overhead amber flashing warning lights, and they've been removed uh, further north on Lajemodier near Grassy. So maybe we can talk about that when we come back. Certainly. Louis Escobar is our guest. He is the transportation manager for the city of Winnipeg. We have a lot of calls, and we'll try to get to everybody in due time, but we do have to pause for global news at 1.30. Louis Escobar is here from the city of Winnipeg, transportation manager. We're talking about signals. We're talking about uh, engineering overall. And... I'm here. I'm not going anywhere. So we'll talk about these amber lights in just a moment and the, the possibility or why there are flashing amber lights to warn you of certain intersections. And I'm thinking of one in particular on uh, Highway 59 slash Lajemodier at Patterson and uh, Cam Fontaine Drive just north of Furmore. And years ago... My memory may not be as good as it used to be, but I'm certain there were flashing amber lights at Grassy Boulevard on Highway 59 slash Lajemodier. We'll find out why those are no longer there or if I'm just not remembering, but we've got a ton of calls, so let's go to our listeners, Brett. Let's start with Frank, who's been waiting for 12 minutes. Frank, are you still there? Yes, I am. Thank you for your patience, Frank. What is your question for Louis Escobar? Okay, I've got uh, two. Um, I'm going... Um down uh, uh, Bishop Grannon. I'm heading east on Bishop Grannon. I'm turning le uh, north on River Road. There's going to be a red light there. It's a single intersection. I, I, I claim I don't have to stop there. It's no different from going east on Broadway, turning north on Hargrave or Edmonton, and uh, going through that red light there, except that it's a wider boulevard. Now, I've talked to police about it, and they said, no, 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 you got to stop. I said, what's the difference? other than it's a wider boulevard. So I'm 
Am I right or am I wrong? So stand by, Frank. I'll put you on hold, and we'll let uh, Louis as- answer your question, and then we'll come back to you for your second one. Um, actually, he is correct. It is a wide boulevard. It is one intersection, and as long as he does it safely, he can continue his maneuver, which is a left turn. If there's no uh, vehicles uh, approaching, going uh, westbound on Bishop Grandin, he can finish his uh, movement, which is his left turn to go across uh, Bishop Grandin. It was the green light eastbound on Bishop yep. Grandin that is his signal. Yes, that and, is and, correct. And that's what dictates uh, what he can do yep. after he completes the first part of that turn and uh, heads northbound on River Road. I did that, that exact correct. maneuver today, and guess what? It was all stacked up at the red in spite of the fact that it would have been clear to go. Everybody assumes now they're on River Road and have to have to obey that red light. Okay. So, Frank, there's your uh, answer for your first question. What's your second question? The second one, uh, I've noticed now that this has changed. Um, Pardon me, I'm going east on Jubilee. I'm going to turn right onto Dunkirk. (coughs) Pardon me, turning right onto Dunkirk. There used to be a no right turn sign on there. It's no longer there. The same thing is is, um, uh, coming out of the St. Vitale Shopping Center. Going going uh, west, I guess, and turning right onto St. Mary's Road. There used to be a no red, a no right turn on red sign there. It's no longer there. It just has the arrows. So is it okay to turn right on those? Stand by, Frank. Yeah, you're correct. Uh, you can turn right on red uh, at those intersections, provided uh, it is safe to do so. And that's from either lane, yeah? Correct. Frank, thank you very much for your questions and your patience. Up next is Scott, who has been waiting for now 11 and a half minutes. Scott, what is your question for Louis Escobar? Mr. Escobar, I'm so happy you're back on the show because I have a great question for you and hopefully you can help me out. I live in Bridgewater, uh, where Bishop Grandin, from Bishop Grandin to the perimeter, has now been double-roaded. So it's uh, one way going uh, south one way, going north. And going south, I can turn on the red light because there's a uh, cut in, so I can turn on the red light going right. Uh, my question for you is this. If I'm going to the north on Keniston, which I would turn right on a red, which takes me right into the intersection, I see people doing it all the time. I see people not doing it. I think it's extremely confusing what the right answer is to that. And if you can't turn left on the red there, is there any way we can get signs there saying, don't turn on the red? Okay. Oh, that makes sense. Uh, I believe so. Um, You can turn left on red, provided you're doing so on a one-way street. Now, Okay, Keniston that way is a one-way street. But from a one-way to a one-way, that's the caveat, right? Correct. Yeah, so technically, Keniston would be a two-way street because there's traffic going in both directions. Um, so you you cannot make a, a left turn on red or a right turn on red. Well, I think where Scott means, though, is south of the flyover mm-hmm. where it's right. three lanes that splits, right? There's the Bridgewater Forest shopping exactly. complex. It splits into, it splits into two, like Keniston going east to both different ways, but both are one way. So yeah, that's where the confusion, I think, is lying with everybody here. But Scott, I think, uh, not to steal Louis' thunder here, you cannot turn left uh, there at that red light because you're going from a one-way, which is only half of the proposition. The other proposition is you have to be going on to a one-way, and that's a two-way, all those roads leading in and out through that Bridgewater Center. Right, but you're, you're correct. You're absolutely correct. 
But once you pass going to the right, where you turn right onto the one way and go to the next intersection, which is just the left going run one way, can I turn left going one way on the red light there? Which intersection are we talking about, by the way, Scott? We're, 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 so we're both on Keniston. So the Keniston, but you're absolutely right. From the fly over to the perimeter, Keniston splits into two, two separate one-way streets. Okay. One going to the south, one going to the north. Yeah. I could definitely turn right on the red going to the south, but can I turn right on the red going north? No. Uh, the, uh, I guess uh, even though the roadways themselves may appear to be a one-way, um, right. the, the facility itself is a two-way facility. Uh, same as uh, it would be like Bishop Grandin. Bishop Grandin, um, say uh, uh, the previous example with uh, Roger, um, there's two roadways, one go, uh, separated by, by a very wide median. In reality, th that's a two-way street, even though some people okay. might treat it as a, as a two separate uh, roads, which are one way. So, you know what, and that makes 100%, and I get that. I think for you, sir, and I'm going to plead with you now, you need to put up a sign that says no turning on the red there. That somebody's going to get killed. 100% somebody's going to get killed. And I, I'm pleading with you now to please look into that. Thank you for the uh, uh, suggestion. I'll talk with my staff to make sure that uh, uh, they review it. And uh, if signs are needed, they'll they'll install them. Thank Scott, you. Thank you for your feedback. We appreciate it. Uh, let's go now to Cam, who's been waiting almost 15 minutes. Hello there, Cam. What is your question for Mr. Escobar? Hello. My question is, when traveling northbound from Portage on Notre Dame, turning left onto Ellis, it, it, you're on a one-way. I want to turn left to go southbound on Gary. Can I turn left on Red? I'm going one way to a one-way, but I have a two-way coming towards me. Oh, yeah. I'm, I'm looking at it on oh, a map right okay. now. Okay, yeah, that's a, that's a bit of a confusing spot. Yeah, uh, uh, you're right. That that one is sort of a, a head scratcher for me. So, so hypothetically, you've come off of Portage Avenue, you turn right onto Notre Dame, and then you stay in the left lane. And what you're trying to do is to go around to head southbound on Gary, and you're kind of using Correct. that as your left turn because you can't turn left from Portage to Gary, and so you're kind of looping around. Can you go left? on the red from what is Notre Dame onto Ellis onto Gary. I, I, Ellis doesn't go any further than Gary, so it's technically just a one-way in that tiny little stretch, is it not? It, it, it's a one-way to a one-way, but you have two ways coming towards you. But it... it mm. <laughs> um, no signage. Yeah. If there's no <laughs> signage, it's because y you can do it. I would I would uh, probably suspect that because of the uh, geometry and, and all the traffic that is approaching, most people would not uh, make that movement. And, and you know, one thing is uh, the legal side of things, um, which only cor uh, the courts will be able to resolve that. The other thing is how the intersection operates, and that's what what uh, what I'm more interested in to make sure that the intersection operates the way we expect it to be and that if there is anything unusual in terms of uh, safety, then we go and address it. Um, this intersection doesn't come up in uh, any of our major uh, intersections with uh, road safety issues. So I would assume that most people uh, travel it uh, with a lot of caution and they decide by themselves not to do the movement that you're uh, indicating. Um, 
I would assume that um, probably that's the, the safer approach. Can you turn it? Uh, I would assume that if it is from a one-way to a one-way, yes, you can. Because technically, and I'm looking at the picture mm -hmm. on the street view right now, you've got a no right-hand turn on red on eastbound Ellis once mm -hmm. you hit to Gary. And in fact, it has a do not enter sign from that sign looking that way, which would tell me that that one way extends right to the right around that corner around that Lindsay building there. Mm -hmm. I, th I think you'd be okay. I'd go to court with you, Cam, if you want to do it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Hey, yeah. Thank you so much, Cam. Doug has been waiting for seven minutes. Let's go to Doug at 204-780-6868. What's your question for Louis Escobar? Doug, Hello? are you there? Doug, go ahead. Hello. Doug, can you hear us? Yes, I can. Okay. What is your question for Louis Escobar? Okay, on Pioneer Street. Okay. Um, going going up to Westbrook. So for those who, so, so Doug, just hang on. I'm going to paint the picture for those not familiar. So Pioneer is after you've come off of the Provence Bridge. So you're heading westbound over Provence. You've now gone over Provence. You're coming up beside Shaw Park. That is now technically called Pioneer. And then Westbrook is where you where that street ends uh, from certain right. lanes, and you end up turning right. So you're wondering, you, what is your question? Okay, and you got the railroad tracks that you go under. Now there's lights there. There's one light on Pioneer and then there's a light on Pioneer turning right. And my question is why is there a light there when it should be a yield sign? And if it's red, do you have to stop or check then go? All right, hang on, Doug. And uh, Louis Escobar, what is, uh, we've sort of covered this with other intersections, but uh, that's an interesting question to ask. Why is there a light there instead of a yield? Uh, probably because there is uh, traffic coming the other way. I believe it's, uh, you might be talking about, is it Lombard and um, Westbrook? That probably he's referring to. I believe there's a, another intersection nearby. Um, I think he's talking about that Pioneer Westbrook one that we've talked about, the mm -hmm. the light. I think the caller's asking, why is there a light there in the first place? Could it not just be a, a through yield there? And it's very rare to see traffic come, say, from eastbound, what is it, William Stevenson Way, mm -hmm. onto Westbrook and through Westbrook, but it doesn't mean it doesn't happen. Correct. Yeah, We have to accommodate all the movements. Okay. Uh, Doug, does that answer your question? No, but if you, if, okay, if you turn left on, or if you turn right on the red light, at a red light, yeah, can you do that? Or do you have to wait through the whole red light? If, I don't think there's a sign, pre there. yeah, I don't think you there's a people, sign preventing you from turning right on red, so, okay. so you can. You get people stopping there, and they just stop there, and I always thought that you could turn on red. You can. Yeah. Well, yeah. Now, hey, Doug, that, this is why we're having this conversation, because this falls into a, a, one of these things where people, it's, a, it's like a, the, the hour is dubbed Winnipeg Traffic Curiosities. Uh, and they were, we're trying to sort of sift through some of these things, but we have, we need to pause this conversation. Uh, Global News reporter Keith McCullough is on the line with an update on the situation on Marion involving uh, pedestrian. Keith, what can you tell us? Well, and Brett just wanted to share with people, first off, that this is, this area here, Marion, sort of around Traverse, really up to Des Muron, really from when you come 
off of the Norwood Bridge past the Forks down Main Street is a total no-go right now in terms of traffic. And it's going to be well into the evening, according to police. So if this is your route through Norwood, through St. Boniface, uh, through the afternoon rush hour, you're going to want to find another place to go. And that's because a pedestrian is dead after a hit-and-run crash late this morning. It was a female who was hit. Police don't have the exact age at this point. They're trying to piece things together. But they do believe that the suspect vehicle, the car that they're looking for that hit this pedestrian on Marion, may have been involved in another unrelated crime earlier on in the morning and then somehow made its way onto Marion. And it looks like it was just a case of a tragic case of wrong place, wrong time for the female victim who was hit and killed here. So police still trying to piece this together. There's yellow tape up everywhere. There's police cars everywhere. They're going door-to-door apartment buildings looking to take a look at surveillance video. It's a massive investigation going on at this point. Again, the area is going to be closed to traffic probably well into this evening, but police trying to piece together what happened at this point. They're not releasing any details about the car that they're looking for, but they say they have notified officers all over the city. Every police officer on duty right now has been given the information. They're looking for this vehicle We'll see if they're able to find them anytime soon. We'll certainly pass that along as we get it. A big investigation going on after a fatal hit-and-run crash in St. Bonifus, guys. Global News reporter Keith McCullough joining us live on 680 CJOB. Uh, we have closed the phones to calls. Thank you for, to everyone for your questions. We still have some questions on text message. And we have a couple of questions of our own for Louis Escobar, who is our in-studio guest. He is the transportation manager with the city of Winnipeg. On the subject of Winnipeg traffic curiosities, we will wrap up our chat with Louis after your forecast. Up next. Okay, let's uh, jump right to the Chase here with Louis Escobar, transportation manager with the City of Winnipeg. We have about four minutes left. Those flashing amber lights, I mentioned the ones that are in place on La Jumodiere at Patterson slash, uh, I'm sorry, I'm I'm blanking out on the uh, other part of that equation there, uh, just north of uh, Camp Fontaine Drive, just north of Fermore. Were there amber flashing lights to warn of the intersection at Grassy once upon a time on La Jumodiere and have those been removed? If so, why don't we see more of those along La Jumodiere on the 80-kilometer-an-hour mm-hmm. route like yeah, that? certainly. We we have installed those uh, amber flashing lights um, based on the on the Canadian guidelines for those uh, devices. Uh, as mentioned, as I mentioned earlier, we follow the Canadian guidelines on, on traffic control devices. So one of the requirements for the installation of them of those devices is that um, obviously high speed road uh, is one of those requirements, but also to make sure that there's no other uh, major intersection or no other signalized intersection within a certain distance. Um, and the third significant requirement is that you do install them when it is the main, the first in- signalized intersection that you see going into an urban center. Mm-hmm. So uh, in years past, probably Grassy Boulevard was, or the intersection of Grassy and Lajumo there were, was the, all, the first signalized intersection that you saw as you were coming into the city. But then Headmaster went in. And so Headmaster had them. And now there were uh, there have been other changes. So a few other locations have those uh, installations instead of the installation of signals that used to have them because they used to be the first signal that you saw entering into a city. As the city builds up, 
there are changes in traffic signals where we have them, and that's what makes some of the changes. When you have more than a, roughly about a mile, uh, no, it's more like five miles, uh, between signalized intersections, then we need to have another one of those. Um, probably one location where, where you have a big distance between intersections would be Bishop Grandin and the river. There's others that have stayed, and some of them we are directed by our standing committee to install them. Um, or we are directed not to remove them. Um, from the technical side, we, we, we follow direction from a standing committee of council. So is, their decision is final. So uh, we, may re- we make recommendations and we follow their direction. So some of those locations stay and are still there because we were given direction to leave them in place. Left uh, turning lights, flashing mm-hmm. uh, green, at least three text messages. You have holding lanes for left turns and then many intersections, including Cordon at Route 90, where you don't have a dedicated light. Why, why are we building holding lanes and not giving uh, priority lights? Yep. There has to be a storage lane is there to make sure that traffic trying to turn left doesn't interfere with uh, through traffic. Uh, but there has to be a minimum amount of uh, traffic make, wishing to make that left turn per every hour uh, and if it has a negative effect if uh, to add a left turn arrow for the overall movement at the intersection then we don't install the left turn arrow we rather sacrifice having uh, a handful of people making that left turn spending two three minutes trying to left to make a left turn than stopping 500 uh, motorists trying to get through so it's sort of the environmental side of things we cover all of that as well we're unfortunately out of time. We didn't even get to talk about the uh, the fancy train sign on Waverly. Uh, maybe we'll, Greg and I can bring that up after the news. Uh, but Louis Escobar, thanks for coming in You're to welcome. answer our questions and our listeners' questions. We Thank very you. much appreciate the Thank access. Thank you very much. Louis Escobar is Transportation Manager for the City of Winnipeg. Global News at 2 o'clock is up next. Well, thanks for all your text messages for Louis Escobar. I think we covered a lot of them in a broad sense. Uh, Thanks for your calls. What uh, Brett and I do when we have guests like this is we cultivate the text messages and try to uh, compile a little bit of an overall list because we had an overall list from the last time Louis was available to us. And I don't know how many of those we made our way through. I think we, we got through a few of them, but still some left over, right, Brett? Yeah, we, never, we we didn't. Oh, and this is one we didn't get to. This is similar to the Arlington situation where uh, Arlington between Portage and Notre Dame is one lane each way, but a lot of people think it's two. Same thing for northbound or for ferry between Portage and Ness, Mm -hmm, uh, mm -hmm. northbound ferry between Portage and Ness. I think a lot of people think it's two and we wanted to confirm that, but we didn't have time. It's just, it's a, it's always a race against the clock. You think an hour is going to be lots of time because last time we only had a half hour. So we thought, Oh, we'll go an hour. It'll be no problem. Well, I had three of my own that I had to wait until we were off the air to ask, which is one of the benefits of being the host, I guess. And, and uh, one is a major project that's happening in the northeast corner of the city, and that's that construction of that interchange at Lajemodiere and the Perimeter Highway, and that is expensive 
expanding and extending all the way north into East St. Paul, all the way to the Red River Floodway Bridge, and then south essentially to Springfield Road, where the provinces uh, really got uh, full control of what's going to happen there. And my question for Louis off the air was whether or not McIver, as you head eastbound on McIver, uh, right now you can make a left turn to go northbound onto 59 or Lajemodier. Uh, he believes that that will not be the case once that entire interchange is complete, that they'll be taking away that left turn option. So you'll be needing to use DeVries to either go to Springfield Road or use DeVries to get up to Headmaster and use the control of the intersection to get onto northbound 59. What were the other questions that you had for him? I wanted to talk a little bit about South Keniston. Okay. And the idea that going through Keniston Commons is as much or a bigger a nightmare a lot of the times than it is getting from the St. James Bridge to Taylor Avenue. And we talk about Capyong Barracks as being such a gigantic uh, pain in the rear end. And yes, it is only having two lanes through there, but where you have the opportunity to create some different traffic conditions, um, they haven't really done it. And until you get to the lights that are just before the flyover, I guess it's Skirfield is the last set of lights on southbound Route 90. Yep. Uh, before you get to the flyover, it is stop and go uh, most times of the day. Yeah. You know, they really haven't been able to alleviate that. So um, as much as an extra lane on Route 90 or Keniston is going to be nice once they're able to do it. Uh, we have as much of a bottleneck uh, happening south of Taylor all the way to Skirfield and south of Skirfield, in my opinion, uh, that hasn't been alleviated with all this development that's going on around there. And so it when, we, opens when, we, up, when are we going to get around to that? It kind of opens up for a little, like a couple of minutes, and then it closes back up right. again once you get sort of into the retail corridor. That's right. Once you get to Ikea, it narrows down again, right? There's that train track that runs just south of Ikea there, and you lose that third lane that's there, and then it goes back down to two lanes in each direction in that stretch. I want to go to Josh at 204-780-6860 because Josh texted us and has an opinion. He says that our guest, Louis Escobar, who is the transportation manager of the city of Winnipeg, is incorrect regarding a, a thing we discussed about Grassy and Lachimodier. So, Josh, what is your uh, feedback on that? Good day, gentlemen. Uh, the first part about it that was incorrect was he said there is warning singles at Headmaster when you're coming southbound on La Jumotier. There is no warning lights there. Uh, it's just a regular old traffic, and you get... I'm a gravel hauler, so I'm always watching for the do-not-walk signs and that kind of stuff, and um, uh, there's a warning sign at Springfield, which used to be the first one until Headmaster now, but and there was always one at Grassy as well, and... Um, I believe the reason why they took the grassy one down was because they they took it down when they installed the red light cameras and added that extra uh, turning lane to turn onto grassy eastbound. And I believe my thought is that they did that because they want to get more revenue for the red light camera than just if they would have had that up, it would have been safer. They, they preach, oh, the red light cameras are for safety. You have the infrastructure for these warning lights already in place all the lines are run all the wiring all the hardware is there if you're if you had to take that stuff down 
for that little bit of construction to add that extra lane and stuff like that. All you would have had to do is erect the sign again, and it would have been great. I, I have to do hard braking there all the time yep. because that is one of the hardest lights to read in Winnipeg. Now, Louie tells me that every amber is the same amount of time and that, that they've done that to eliminate some of the guesswork, regardless of whether you're going 80 on southbound Lage. And I hear you, Josh, because that's a route I do every single day right now. And I don't know whether to stop or to go because half the time I think about it, I go, yeah, I think I'm going to stop here. And I go, no, you know what? I think it's safer to run the amber. And sure enough, I'll look in my rear view mirror. Never mind, did I not stop? But the car behind me and the car behind them didn't stop either. It would have been a, a way better decision to keep going. And so uh, I hear you loud and clear on that one, man. It is so frustrating. Like I said, everything is in place for that sign to be there. It, it, why would they take it down when they already have it? it, it and, and driving 80 in a car is one thing, but even doing 70 in a, in a semi that weighs 90,000 yeah. pounds loaded, I, I have a hard time. I, I don't like that intersection. And another one for that is uh, Silver and Route 90. They upgraded the, the walk sign there, but that's the one one of the intersections around there where they don't have the countdown timer mm-hmm. so that you, you know, you're doing 70. It's a 70 zone there. People often think it's a 60 zone, but it's a 70 zone. You're doing 70, and all of a sudden the walk sign comes up, and you don't know how long the walk sign's been up there or whatever. I, I've got to the point where I've counted it flashes about 19 or 20 times. So, you know, I kind of got an estimate on, on when it's going to flip, but at least have the counter there for people that are, are paying attention to be able to, okay, hey, I got five seconds. And I know I know how long I can go in five seconds. I know if I'm going to be good or not. Why wouldn't they upgrade it to a counting sign? They, all about safety. All about safety. Safety, my... Josh, Josh, I'm going to put you on hold. Can we get your phone number from you? And I want to get in touch with you the next time Louie comes back on with us because I could try and retell your take on this, but you've been so impassioned about that. And we will pull the tape. Yeah. on this and we will make sure that Louis hears your impassioned plea for this. I think you make a lot of sense. I know that there is more than just one piece of bureaucracy that makes these decisions and uh, other than that I, I'm not at, at liberty to, to, to tell you how uh, Louis is sometimes forced to make decisions. That's all I'm going to say because he, he trusted me with some things that uh, aren't for publication. So uh, we'll leave it there, Josh. We'll get your number, and I promise you we will uh, reach out to you next time we have Louis on because I think he makes some very valid points uh, from a safety standpoint, and you did it with a lot of passion. We appreciate it uh, mightily. And maybe what we'll do is uh, maybe we can just uh, also I can send the tape to the city of Winnipeg after this show and just say, hey, can you please forward this to Louis? Uh, we have a, had a question come in after he left that we would like to have answered uh, because p- part of the problem with with what we're doing with Louie in that hour is he's having to suddenly call up a, the map every street of Winnipeg on the spot. With you know, A lot of these questions were kind of no preparation, right? We did give him a list of questions which he prepared for, and he came ready because last time, he remember he was kind of oh I'm you know what I'm not sure mm-hmm. that was regarding the these double right turn on red double lane right turn on red situations he wasn't positive he came back today armed with the knowledge yes you can turn red on red in either lane 
provided it's safe to do so, of course. But to have to to think of every intersection in Winnipeg on the spot. Uh, so we'll we'll send the city and we'll send Louis a follow up request to say, hey, can you please. Uh, listen to this and uh, just offer us a, a statement or something, and then maybe we can hopefully have an answer on that tomorrow. I, I like know. that. I like that idea a lot, Brett. Bill is at uh, 204-780-6868. Hey, Bill, uh, I understand you've got a comment about lights on Regent Avenue. Yeah, Regent of Madeline, the, um, I guess, the red light cameras? Yeah. Uh, when you're traveling east on, on, on Regent there, all of a sudden um, you'll see it blinking red, you know, so it's going to caution you, right? Then all of a sudden it turns to the white walking. So why does it do that all the time? Um. Oh, so so you're saying that it like all of a sudden you're you know you're 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 approaching that 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 light that corner and you can see in the distance it's it's just blinking red, right? I like, mean, like you're talking like, about the pedestrian signal. Yeah, the the pedestrian. So that's telling you it's going to be changed. The light's going to change red, of you know, eventually, right? Okay. And all of a sudden, you're slowing right down to a stop, and all of a sudden, it, tur- it turns white. Pedestrian walk. So, like, what gives on that corner? Okay, so what time of day are you... Every is this day, all you? the time. Night, day, every time. Is there ever any traffic that is yeah. sitting on Madeline waiting to go through? Uh, no, no, not that I see of. Because no. this happens... You know, the reason why I bring that up, Bill, is... And you, this is another curiosity. This happens to me all the time on Marion. Right. There's a... I can't remember. The, I drive by it all the time. But it's an intersection that has the red light camera on Marion. It's right beside the park, uh, Happy Land Park. Yes, yes, yes. I know where you're talking about. It's, I just, can, a, it's yep. just this dinky little side street. Right. And so that often happens where the the... the the pedestrian signal will start. Dufresne, thank you. Will flip to start blinking red right. to indicate that the light's going to change, and then it flips back to to walk. And I think that's because there's no traffic waiting to go. There's probably a sensor there at both those intersections, and because the the sensor hasn't been triggered to change uh, the green light to amber either on Marion or Regent, it's probably skipping that cycle as opposed to throwing up a an amber and a red light for the traffic on those main thoroughfares. So it's 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 skipping that cycle based on the lack of anyone wanting to get onto either Regent in your example, Bill, or onto uh, Marion in yours, Brett. Well no, I've I've seen there's there's been vehicles in front of you that have actually crossed that intersection. Yeah. Before me. Oh absolutely. Yeah, so you know, I'm going to proceed. I'm going to slow right down, right? Yeah, and all yeah. of a sudden, bing! Boy, here comes the a... white pedestrian. Oh, okay, here we go again, right? It... So I don't think it's got anything to do with traffic or anything. I just think it's out of sync, maybe. Like those two intersections, they should be looked at. I don't. Well, I think. Uh, well, I mean, hey, Bill, I'd have to see it in action, but uh, absolutely. So you're telling me that you're when you're traveling on eastbound. Because right. because I did ask you, Bill, when this happens, right. is there traffic on Madeline waiting to go through? And you said no. Well, I I don't know, okay, because you know what you're 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 looking at the at, at the red at the blinking lights. You're not going to start looking all over the place, right? Well, you're you know what I mean. To be, I, I don't know. You know what I mean. All I'm saying is there's cars that have proceeded through that intersection going east, and I'm kind of right behind them, or two cars behind them, or one car, right? And all of a sudden, you know what I mean? You slow right down, and it changes to a yellow walk. I mean, a white walk, eh? Pedestrian. Well, I mean, well, hey, then, then, then you can just carry on your business. You don't have to stop. 
Well, absolutely. So what's the point of doing that? That's my question. Well, I think the point is to just make sure that people are slowing down as they approach the intersection, just in case. But like, yeah, Greg, okay. like Greg said, I think it's just a, it's it's probably like a basic programming where every couple of minutes it it's set to, to go into the cycle. But if there's no cars, they just keep going. Uh, but hey, Bill, it's a valid right. point, and we thank you for the question at 204-780-6868. we got to pause. Fortier's waving at us feverishly. We need to stop and check your forecast. And uh, I see he's on the phone right now with somebody else at 204-780-6868. So if you have any more questions, keep them coming. Your forecast is up next. So we're uh, getting uh, probably a half a dozen text messages about that one intersection, <laughs> region at Madeline, and uh, most people saying, yes, of course, there's a pressure plate in there, it's, there's a sensor, and so what happens is the lights that control region east and west uh, will skip a red light cycle if there's no traffic there, which is actually a benefit to anybody traveling on that main thoroughfare. But an interesting little note here uh, from one of our listeners who uh, has a motorcycle. Yeah, who says that uh, that um, even my motorcycle wasn't heavy enough to trip the light. So this motorcyclist is on Madeline trying to either go through the intersection um, or maybe turn left, depending on which way they're facing. And they end up saying that they have to always turn right at the intersection because the bike just isn't heavy enough to trigger the plates. And as well, (laughs) and I got a text message as well from somebody saying, if Bill's not paying attention to the other cars, because I asked him, are there cars coming from either from Madeline? And he said, well, I, I, I don't know. Like you gotta look, you gotta pay attention to that kind of stuff, Bill. Anyway, we're having fun with you, Bill. We thank you for it. It's a valid point, and it's it's. It can it, be confusing, right? Yeah. Because you're trying to do the right thing, and it's like, oh, what happened there? And Jeff Fortune and I were talking about Lajemodiere in Springfield. You have Kitchen Craft and some big industrial users down East Springfield Road, and at eleven o'clock, at three o'clock in the afternoon, shift change. Uh, there's massive amounts of vehicles that are trying to get on to southbound Lajemodiere from westbound Springfield Road. The lights stay green longer for those folks. But if you go there at a certain time of night and there's nobody at the intersection on Springfield, it just skips the cycle and it keeps going green. It'll be green for days if there's nobody on Springfield Road. That's that's technology that's engineering uh, benefiting us. Yeah, so it's actually working in your favor. Um, so just to, do we have a call? Yeah, we got Jason hanging on the line. He's oh, been patient. That's right, Jason. Thank you for your patience. What's your uh, question? Great topic, guys. I hear a lot of uh, frustration with all these uh, callers, and rightfully so. It just seems like there's a lot of a lot of problems with our traffic system and these problems seem like something that we can solve in the here and now, but where's our vision for the future? We're going to patch all these problems, but where's our plan for the future of self-driving cars, autonomous vehicles, semi-autonomous vehicles? If we. Oh, Jason, did we just lose you? Are you still there, Jason? No, I'm still here. I'll give you an example. Um, something very basic. My vehicle has a feature called lane keeping technology Mm -hmm. and I love to use it, but unfortunately it works based on the lines that are painted on the road. Well, we know through Winnipeg and around Winnipeg that not all the roads have clearly painted lines. Yeah. So we, how can we plan for something like self-driving cars when we can't do something basic like painting 
the lines on the roads? Where is the vision in the in the in this city for the future? Not just to fix, you know, this light's flashing and this this red light and can we turn here? Yeah, that's great. That's today in August 2017. But what about August 2020? Yeah. Where's our plan? Where's the vision in this city? And then, you know, Jason, that's a great point. And maybe that's something we'll have to bring up with Louie again somewhere down the road. I know that uh, just we work here in Polo Park. They got to repaint the, the lot every year mm-hmm. because winter comes around with all the salt and whatever. I'm assuming I that's what's going on. Oh, yeah, for sure. And the plowing and everything. Jason, you're echoing sentiments that uh, I uh, feel uh, right at the surface of who I am as well. That's a whole other conversation, the, the vision for the future. And I think that'll be a, a big part of our next visit with Louie. We want to thank everybody for chiming in on this and uh, even trusting uh, Brett and I to have the conversation with you, even though Louie's been gone for half an hour already. We appreciate it muchly. Global News at 2.30 is up next. And then... Our weekly visit with Carolyn Clausen. 2.35, Thursday afternoon. And I greeted my friend Carolyn Clausen this afternoon like I hadn't seen her for a year. It's only been three <laughs> weeks. You were here last week. I was You not. were not. No, and the week before that, it was reversed. So, yes, it was great to uh, come in and greet you. Welcome back uh, to both of us. And welcome back to you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Carolyn Clausen, therapist, Connexus Counseling, ConnexusCounseling.ca. Fantastic website, all sorts of uh, terrific blogs, advice there. And, of course, you can connect with uh, Carolyn and her fantastic team. We still have to talk about EMDR. Okay. Uh, just for those uh, that might be just tuning in and... I've mentioned it a couple of times, the last couple of times you were here. What is EMDR? And it's it's now a uh, treatment option at Connexus Counseling, correct? Yes. Um, EMDR stands for Eye Movement Desensitization. Um, and it's um, I, I am not certified in it, so I can't tell you what um, how the treatment goes exactly. But from what I know of it, and I refer people to EMDR because I, it's a it's a it's a it's therapy for trauma. And when people find themselves going about their day and getting interrupted by experiences of, of acute um, trauma or acute anxiety because they've heard a certain sound or they're remembering a certain experience or they're, they're sort of reimagining the trauma and the trauma isn't acting like a memory, it's acting like it's happening all over again. EMDR can be really helpful. And um, the United States military is using a lot of EMDR. It's been well um, researched and found to be um, through, you know, really good research found to be very effective. And it sounds kind of what I, the word I want to use is hokey. It sounds a little bit hokey in terms of what it asks you to remember and how the process that it asks you to go through. And all often there's, there's, it asks you to alternately tap different parts of your body, right, left, right, left, or to look left, right, left, right, as you're, as you're rem- remembering certain things and certain patterns. And it's remarkable how I have seen people, even after a single session or two or three sessions, their entire outlook on life changes um, as they're better able to remember things. And it's not like they forget the horrible thing that happened, but it doesn't grip them and hijack them emotionally the way it does when before they have the EMDR. And so it's a really remarkable um, specific model of therapy that dovetails often with regular therapy to deal specifically with trauma. I just wanted to let people know about it, and that was an option because there's not a lot of places, hey, you can do it in Winnipeg, and I have experienced it. I've okay. I've used it as a therapy, and it works 
And it worked for me fantastically. And it's startling, right? People say, well, it seemed all kind of weird and I couldn't quite believe it. But uh, funny thing is, I feel a whole lot better since, right? Yeah, created a lot of clarity for me in terms of a a specific traumatic situation I had been through. And uh, so I wanted to let people know because I know there are people out there suffering. They're looking for answers. They're looking for ways to deal with the things that can cripple them on a daily basis. And I wanted to make sure that I I got it out there because whether I endorse it or not, I can just tell you from experience it did work for me and the reason I tried it was because somebody that I knew and trusted had tried it and it worked very well for them as well. Well, and I thank you for the opportunity for me to mention it because sometimes when I mention it to clients, you know, you might be a candidate for EMDR. They often aren't familiar that there isn't even such a thing. And so I think the more people know that it's an option, the better. So we are going to talk today about a young woman who... She was told when she was really young, she's going to die early and because she has a disease. Now, Greg, you have some audio of this young woman rather than me sort of stumble through trying to explain her story. How about we have her tell her story? Her name is Claire Wyland. She's 17 years old and she lives with a chronic illness. And some of us will have heard of this illness and it's called cystic fibrosis. It's not normal to spend so much time in the hospital. It's not normal to have nearly died like four times. I kind of gave up on trying to make my life something that other people thought was normal. I have something called cystic fibrosis, which is an illness that I was born with. It causes an overload of mucus to accumulate in your body. I end up doing around, you know, four to five hours of breathing treatments every single day. I'm on 50-somewhat medications. I've spent a quarter of my life in the hospital, had around 35 surgeries, had a very abnormal life, and yet I've thoroughly enjoyed it. I've kind of made it my life purpose to try and explain how it's possible to be sick and still live a life that you're proud of when we're suffering. We all have this notion that we kind of just should stop living and all we should focus on is how to get over it, how to just get to the other side. And I genuinely believe that there is no other side. There's so much more to life than just being healthy. There's so much more to life than just being normal. For me, it was a really simple shift. I had a whole near-death experience when I was 13. I was in a coma for a few weeks. It was crazy. Wild time, don't recommend it. After I'd been through that, I realized I actually had something to offer. I learned the ins and outs of how hospitals work, of how nurses, doctor, patient relationships work. What do parents really need to be able to help their kid? What does actual support look like in that community? So uh, I started the Claire's Place Foundation when I was 13 years old because I wanted to help families with the financial burden of CF. When I was born, My life expectancy was 10 years old. Then it moved to kind of 15, 16, then it was 18, now it's 20s. And because the life expectancy keeps getting pushed back, I keep realizing I'm gonna live longer and longer and longer, which is terrifying. I was so ready to die in a weird way. And now all of a sudden there's like a life to live and I have college. Sometimes that's more terrifying than anything else, to be honest with you. What a spirit. You may have seen Claire's video circulating on your Facebook page. I know it made the rounds Mm -hmm. uh, on my Facebook page a couple of times in the last week or so. And I thought, you know what? I want to share this with Carolyn. Had you heard of? I had seen her on my my feeds as well and was quite taken with uh, when you can watch so many different videos. Hers was one that I watched right to the end. She's a very captivating young individual. So I guess one of the... uh, 
the, the main takeaway that I saw from that is here's a woman who has been, who, well, I think actually what she just said there, where she said, I was so prepared to die mm-hmm. and, and now I'm, I'm still living. So that actually is, is scary. For most people, it's the, the dying that would be scary. But for her, it's having to realize I'm not going to die. Well, I think that's one of the delightful parts of listening to Claire is that she really turns um, fear and courage on its head um, because she's now trying to muster up the courage and she's pretty good at finding it uh, to find the courage to live uh, because she has spent so much of her life um, having the courage to die. And she is very bold in encouraging those of us who are healthy um, to recognize the fact that uh, her di- she she talks about her being on the fast track to death, but that we are all ultimately going to die and that it that we all have fears. Um, her fear is that she's going to die a lot younger than the rest of us. But now she has fears like college and recognizing that we all have fears. And, and death is just one more of those fears, as I think she's trying to normalize the experience of death. I will remember going to see a doctor, therapist, psychiatrist, actually, in Calgary, probably three months after my car accident. And I was having some issues, suicidal thoughts, in fact. I was having a very hard time with wrapping my head around the changes that had come to my life and the changes that we're taking place in my personality, my ability, lack of ability more often than not to do the things that I was used to doing. And uh, I forget the woman's name, but I will never forget her saying to me that uh, I have a real sense about you, Greg. And she said, I believe somehow, some way this will end up being the best thing that ever happened to you. Ah. And it gave me permission to look at the cards I'd been dealt in a little bit of a different fashion and her advice and her statement didn't necessarily affect me immediately, but over time I would draw on that. I would draw on her observation and her prediction as a source of strength. You've never forgotten that. Never. It's been almost 17 years now. And so would you say that the adversity of the car accident did change your life in ways that you can go back and say... As much as I wouldn't want to go through it again, I wouldn't change a thing that's happened since. Does that make sense? Okay. Yeah, that's a powerful thing. And I I think it echoes with what Claire is talking about in her platform is to say that adversity and problems, um, she talks, um, she has a TEDx talk that I watched last night. Mm -hmm. And uh, she talks about how adversity in many cultures is seen as a really cool opportunity, that adversity gives you a chance to learn. And rather than see adversity as a problem, you look on it as a gift. Um, And in the moment, um, when you were talking about, Greg, you know, you were contemplating whether the pain of your life was so great, could you still stay alive, right? That, That we shouldn't make light of of issues and light of pain, but recognizing that pain is can be a great teacher and that pain can be a gift. And, and Claire talks about the preciousness of life that she recognizes because she can, she doesn't take each day for granted at all, right? Um, and that you learn something through your experience that you could not have learned any other way. Going to continue our chat with Carolyn Clausen in a moment. She is a counselor with Connexus Counseling.ca. 
Uh, that's the website, by the way. You can read her fabulous blog there. Just want to point out a couple of traffic notes as well. Don't forget that Marion is going to be closed all afternoon into this evening between Braemar and Traverse uh, due to a fatal hit-and-run incident that occurred late this morning. Also, a uh, listener has reminded us as well that York is closed between Edmonton and Carleton. There is a movie shoot happening. That should be open again by 3.30, but in the meantime, if you're heading up York, you won't be able to make it through Edmonton to get to Carleton until 3.30, let's say 3.30-ish. It's 2.45. Your forecast is up next. Sorry, Jeff, I changed my cadence on you there. I flipped the 24 on the CJOB, but you handled it it like the pro that you are, Jeff Forche. (laughs) Thanks for everything that you do here at 680 CJOB. It's Greg Mackling, Brett McGarry, along with our good friend Carolyn Claussen. ConnectSysCounseling.ca is the website. ConnectSysCounseling, if you'd like to uh, look them up in the phone book. Is mm-hmm. there still such a thing as phone book? <laughs> I think so. <laughs> yeah. Think Did I, you get one? <laughs> I don't know that I got one this year. I think I found one at the bottom of the stairwell in this building here, and no one had claimed it. It's it was so strange how much our lives A lot of people take them straight from the mailbox right out to the recycling bin. Yeah, eh? I yeah. did that for probably a decade. It's it's crazy how much life has changed in the last decade or two. Mm-hmm. I used to deliver the Sears catalog, right? Four okay. inches thick. Yeah, you don't need that anymore. Nope. I miss, I miss, I used to look forward to this Sears. Lots of people Sears did. catalog, the consumer's distributing catalog. Oh, yeah. I remember that one. Yeah. <laughs> the Sears Christmas catalog was a big deal. So. It was a great way to leave hints for your birthday and Christmas. You just circle, circle them. Yeah. What, what, do you, what do you call, what do they call that when you fold down the corner? There's yeah. a specific, what do you call that? Pigtail? Not pigtail. What do you oh. call Dog that? Dog ear. Carolyn Clausen. Wow. There's a reason why she uh, dispenses advice. <laughs> I didn't even know that was a thing. Look at that. You learned. You really do learn something new. Those subtle cues to parents right around <laughs> That's Christmas right. shopping time. Yeah. Oh, interesting. <laughs> We're talking about a young woman named Claire Wineland. She has cystic fibrosis. Greg found a video of this young lady talking about how she has not let her illness, her terminal illness, hold her back. She's gone on to live a full life. She's in her 20s now. She's already exceeded her life expectancy from what she was told when she was much younger. Uh, initially, she was told maybe she'd live 10 years and then maybe 20, and now she's in her 20s. So who knows how long she's going to go, and she has so much spirit. And I think the title of the video was Live Like You're Dying, Greg. So now, Carolyn, I want to, and I don't want to, I don't say this to be flippant towards her message, but it, it, it can be easy for me to say, well, live like you're dying. That sounds uh, like a, like it should be easy to do, but... We all have inhibitions that seem to prevent us from from doing that. For some of us, those inhibitions can be quite powerful. So how do you conquer your inhibitions and, quote unquote, live like you're dying? Well, I think um, it's helpful for Claire to be giving the message that she is um, when you hear her speak. She's on continuous oxygen, right? So she has nasal prongs in her nose. You can see visibly that uh, she is ill. Um, th- this young woman, she needs to consume 5,000 calories a day because it's such effortful for her to be able to breathe all day long. Uh, and uh, I think when she says you can live a full life even while you're sick, she carries a credibility to say that that those of us that are healthy in a position of privilege of health, we don't have the right to say that, right? So I think it's it's cool when we hear people like her say, I live a full, beautiful life, uh, not only and not in spite of the fact that I'm sick, but almost because I'm sick, that she is forced to face fears that the rest of us um, often can feel like we're avoiding. And, and there's sometimes where I get clients coming in 
And they feel quite anxious. Um, and it might be because for the first time they're in a car accident and it might have only been a fender bender. But there's this experience of I'm vulnerable. I'm not safe. I'm not going to be around forever. Bad things can happen to me, too. And in North America, when we live with sort of a fairly stable political climate and um, we have, you know, most of us live under, we have food in our cupboards and a roof over our heads, we forget that bad things could happen to any one of us very quickly. Um, and that really, when you live in a state that she does, that that life is precious and life is vulnerable. While on one hand, that has you feel like life is really scary. What she says is really life is really scary for all of us. We just, many of us don't live like it, but if we're aware of it, then what life does is it becomes precious. And you take, when you when you go to Grand Beach, you look at the, feel the sand in your toes and you listen to the water and it, it just takes on a beauty that otherwise we take for granted. Probably not complaining about the sand in your swimsuit and <laughs> the fact that you track sand back into the cottage or into the car, right? You're, you're looking at it differently. Well, and suddenly those things are to be grateful for. Sure. Right? Yeah. And, and so it's that it's that uh, way of looking at things. But I, I want to, uh, just because we don't have uh, much more time here, I want to take this to the other side because there will be people that will look at Claire, will look at what she does, how she lives her life, and will look at it and say, well, my problems aren't that big a deal. And that will either A, inspire them to do what Claire is doing and Mm -hmm. to live a little bit differently. But it will also, I think, potentially prevent them from seeking help because the things I'm dealing with is nothing compared to this woman. What's wrong with me? And then so then that can create uh, some increased despair for those that feel as though their issues aren't really, quote unquote, that big a deal. That is such a good point, Greg. I think you're right. Often people delegitimize their own suffering because they say compared to somebody else, it's not a big deal. And often people shortchange themselves from being able to tell somebody else, I'm struggling with this because they feel like they don't have a right to struggle when other people are struggling with things that are so much more. And I think what I would say is that suffering and compassion, that both of those, they aren't something where they are finite, where it's like a pizza, where, you know, if you have four pieces, then I can only have one. um, And therefore, you are deserving of that much more than I. I think each person's suffering is legitimate. And each person's suffering is what they know. And they feel that pain. Pain is pain. And compassion is compassion. And I think it's important for us all to recognize uh, that's something when I work through a course um, with Brene Brown's material called Rising Strong, that no matter what fall people are recovering from, no matter what loss they're trying to process, we work to make sure that we understand that each person's loss is real, regardless of if one might... that, that the, the loss of a job isn't less than the job loss of a spouse versus the loss of a pet versus, you know, the loss of something else that might seem even minor. If it's big to you, it's big because everybody's experience is important and is valid. And people are, are we're all doing the best we can. We all face struggles and we all deserve the compassion and understanding of others. Carolyn Clausen is the name of our in-studio guest. She is a therapist with Conexus Counseling. Her website, where you can read her blog, conexuscounseling.ca. And we've been talking about Claire Wineland, a young woman with cystic fibrosis. She has a video that has uh, been seen 10 million times on Facebook alone, I believe. Uh, It's about living or live like you're dying. And she is really an inspiring young woman and hopefully can inspire you in some way or another. It is coming up to Global News at 3 o'clock, and then after that, oh, look at that. We're going to talk about beer again. Craig Mackling along with Brett McGarry. 
Brett McGarry along with Greg Mackling, however you phrase it. It's Mackling McGarry through until 4 o'clock this afternoon. And by the way, if you'd like to go out and support Team Manitoba in their quest for a gold medal in the Canada Games, uh, their game, their semifinal game against Alberta gets underway at Shaw Park at 4 o'clock. So if you want to skip out of work a little bit early or maybe you're looking for something to do this evening, uh, you can head down to Shaw Park. I know they had uh, well over 2,000 people there for their game against PEI and over 1,100 for a game against Ontario that was originally scheduled for the uh, Elmwood Giant Stadium that they moved at the last minute. So I know it's only an hour away, 52 minutes away, essentially. Uh, but if you want to get out and support Team Ca- uh, Manitoba in the Canada Summer Games, you can certainly do that. They'd love to see you down there. We have all heard, I think, of Boo at the zoo. But there's something that is happening next month called Brew at the Zoo. And in studio to tell us about this, we have Laura Kayback, who is Marketing and Communication Specialist with Assiniboine Park Conservancy, and John Heim, who is President of Manitoba Brewers Association, as well as the President of Torque Brewing. And they are both here to tell us about Brew at the Zoo. Laura, we'll start with you. Brew at the Zoo. What is Brew at the Zoo? Brew at the Zoo is going to be a great evening on Friday, September the 15th. You will be able to enjoy live music. You will be able to enjoy food, a great setting at the zoo. And, of course, the star of the show will be all the great brew that you're going to get to sample. That's a, a great partnership and a unique way to, to celebrate the zoo and to experience it. Have you done anything like this before? Apparently, uh, a number of years ago, before my time at the park and zoo, uh, before the Assiniboine Park Conservancy, there was a, an event like this. But I think it predates the growth in the uh, local craft brewing scene that we're seeing now, and John can certainly talk about that. So this event's going to have much more of a local flavor, and it's going to be bigger, it's going to be better. The part of the zoo that we're having it in is part that's seen great improvements in the last few years. It's the area that that includes Journey to Churchill and the McFeeders Heavy Horse Centre. So it's going to be a really cool setting, really casual, fun vibe for the event. Fabulous. And I think that a lot of times people probably look at the zoo as a place for families and kids. You know, even Boo at the Zoo, I think, is probably more for kids. But this, I think, is has a decidedly, obviously, a, an adult flair. So is that part of the reasoning for doing this, to show that, hey, you don't have to be a kid to enjoy the zoo? Absolutely. I mean... Uh, let's be clear. Yes, the zoo is definitely a family-friendly destination, but we have lots of grown-ups who come to the zoo all the time. But we do also host events in the zoos in the zoo after hours. We have weddings, we have corporate events in the zoo. It's a kind of a unique venue after hours. The animals go to bed, the adults come out to play. So Brew at the Zoo is going to be just that. You know, it's it's a time to leave the kids at home, get a babysitter, get grandma over, and the grown-ups can come out and have a really fun night at the zoo. I don't know how I would sell that to my kids. That we're, we're, you know, I'm leaving you at home with uh, grandma and papa. Uh, Mom and dad are going to the zoo. <laughs> I want to throw in a nana and a nana at the end of that. Uh, John Heim, why did you get involved with this? And and Laura touched on it, the incredible explosion of uh, local breweries and uh, the incredible flavor and diversity that's being offered by uh, the independent brewers here in Manitoba is outstanding. Why an event like this? Well, it just makes sense. And last year at this time, I believe there were two, maybe three craft brewers in Manitoba, and we're up to over 12 now. Uh, typically in the uh, craft beer community, we love to give back and like to support local whenever we can. Uh, I've been a part of the zoo since the, uh, um, I remember 1976 selling stickers to bring in rhinoceri and giraffes and things, and the Tropical House was a brand new feature. 
And uh, I still, um, you know, remember seeing the tortoise there and stuff like that. So it just made a real good sense. And Laura approached us and we've been working on this behind the scenes for quite a few months. And we got all our uh, craft brewers on board. Uh, everyone's really excited because quite truthfully, not a lot of people know there's such a vibrant craft beer community in Manitoba right now. And it's up to us to educate it, the, the uh, educate the public and the venue uh, is certainly is top notch. So we're really excited to be a part of it. You mentioned that uh, you've got a uh, number of breweries, uh, breweries on board for this event. Which ones will be there? Do you know off the top of your head? Uh, maybe you, on the uh, local front, um, at last count, uh, Torque will be there, Brazen Hall, Farmery, Stone Angel, which is a brand new one opening up in South Pemina, Oxus Brewing, Nonsuch, uh, Little Brown Jug, Half Pints, and Barnhammer currently. Wow. And we're, yeah, so that is just uh, from the local contingent. We are expecting, I think Laura's invited uh, quite a few uh Canadian craft brewers will be there as well, so it'll be quite an event for for Manitobans to experience, not just the local flavor, but everything that had been going on around us up until about a year ago. So unique flavors in a unique setting, it sounds as though this is a perfect match for people who are maybe trying to get out of the comfort zone a little bit and and do something that's uh, unique uh, in combination with one another. I think so. I think it's going to be a great event. I mean, we're really excited about it and really looking forward to it. Tickets went on sale just this morning. Um, we're over 200 sold already, uh, which I think is a great start. So, uh, you know, we're certainly encouraging people to come out, but not wait. How many September, tickets available? Oh, sorry, sorry, Brad. Yeah, sorry. We have many tickets available? We've got about 1,500. Okay, so still lots of lots, lots of tickets. Lots available. There's time, but they're moving. Yeah, yeah. Don't, don't wait too long. There's yeah. lots, but not a lot. And that was what I wanted to emphasize, is the fact that the event may be September 15th, but we knew as soon as we got the news release about this that these are the sorts of things that people jump on fairly quickly and they end up selling out, and so we wanted to give our listeners a real crack at getting involved in this fantastic event. It, so, might, uh, it might be hard to get Grandma to babysit as well. She might want to go. <laughs> John. <laughs> like the way you think. <laughs> well, we'll, t- we'll continue to chat about this because I'm curious to know how this is going to be set up. So we'll continue our chat with Laura Kayback, who is Marketing and Communications Specialist at Cinnaboyne Park Conservancy, and John Heim, who is President of the Manitoba Brewers Association and the President of Torque Brewing, talking about Brew at the Zoo. Tickets just on sale today for an event happening September 15th, Friday, September 15th, from 7 until 10. More after traffic and weather. Up next... Brew at the Zoo, September 15th at the Assiniboine Park Zoo. It's a presentation of the Assiniboine Park Conservancy and Manitoba Brewers Association. And uh, Laura Kabeck is here from the Assiniboine Park uh, Conservancy. And John Heim, president of Manitoba Brewers Association. He's also president of Torque Brewing. And uh, Laura, how much are tickets for this event? I've got a text message here, and it's kind of cool. You have two pricing levels for this event and uh, different ways to experience it. We do. So the regular ticket is thirty nine ninety five plus GST. That gets you in from seven p.m. till ten p.m. It includes all samples. There are two ounce samples that we'll be serving up, and we encourage people to please drink responsibly. We also have a, a premium ticket for fifty nine ninety five. So what that gets you is in an hour early. So for the beer geeks among us, present company included. Uh, that gives you some time to interact with the brewers because it's going to be a smaller group of people in there. Events just starting up. You're not waiting in line. And you can ask all those questions uh, you want to these guys. And they're obviously very passionate about what they do. So I'm sure they love to, to chat it up with you. Um, in addition, the premium ticket also gets you a voucher for some food at the Tundra Grill and a free ticket to return, return to the zoo during regular hours later in the fall. So, you know, you get a little bit more of an experience on that night, but you also get to come back to the zoo at another time. 
John, did you get, for you guys with Torque, did you get to like request that you be put in front of a specific animal? Like, did you say, I want to hang out by the red pandas or something to promote my red line beer? I think, yeah, that would be actually kind of an interesting idea, although I think that a lot of them might be sleeping. Uh, we were there the other morning and the snow leopard was roving around and he, she was uh, making quite a few Jurassic Park-like sounds. <laughs> uh, so I think it might be a little creepy. If we could pick a cat, uh, an animal, though, I think Torque would pick the meerkats because they're quite comical. And it kind of reminds me of Matt, our brewer. So. You know, the meerkats are pretty funny. I think uh, Brett and I, if we had our own uh, brewery, we would pick the kangaroos. Yes. We would want to be stationed near the kangaroos. But this is obviously in a contained area of the zoo, Laura. And, and John, maybe John, maybe you can explain to us how will it will be presented. Brett brought this up before the break. What will kind of the lay of the land be, so to speak? Well, um, I believe anyone who's sort of a native Winnipegger will remember the original zoo entrance um, that everyone went through the weird turnstiles that someone would catch on. And, yeah. and John, just, uh, we just, need to have a nostalgic yeah, hour yeah. with you. I, I'm so that, feeling very nostalgic suddenly. Uh, so that's the way in, and I believe uh, there'll be uh, 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 sampling stations immediately upon entering that area. Um, Laura and her team have laid out kind of a nice path around the polar expedition, the polar bear uh, um, exhibition, and then there'll be sampling stations all the way through uh, all the way leading up to the heavy horse barn where the music and uh, and and the food will be located. So it's going to be a nice, and you'll be able to go back and forth, uh, you know, just listen for the music to if you forgot the way to go. And I believe most of the rest of the zoo will be closed off, so there won't be any uh, news stories in the morning. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, I'm just yeah. picturing it now. Yeah, Somebody has too much brew and then climbs in to try to say hi to the tigers or something yeah. like that. Yeah, so... Uh, we're really looking forward to it, and but hopefully this will become an annual event for, for both the uh, Manitoba Brewing Association and the Conservancy because it's, it's a great destination in Winnipeg, and I think a lot of people, uh, hometown tourists, uh, need to remember that there's some really good stuff right next door and in our own backyard in Manitoba. Well, and Laura, this is just uh, another example of a really creative sort of partnership where uh, it's it's mutually beneficial to the both in a way that like I never would have envisioned uh, brewers and the zoo getting together to throw a party. No, I, I think it's a perfect fit. No, I, li- no. I love it. Yeah. I think it's wonderful. Yeah, no, you know, we started talking about this. Well, we've been talking on and off about it for a couple of years and then more seriously about a year ago. And we knew at that time that um, we really had to make sure that we had the Manitoba brewers on board. You know, so we we thought through our plans, kind of imagined what kind of event we wanted to have. We did some research and looked at some very successful events at other zoos south of the border. I think there might be a couple in Canada as well. And then earlier this year, we started talking uh, with John and uh, the rest of the brewers. And, you know, we 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 absolutely wanted to make sure there was a local presence at this event. So their participation is key. That said, we do have some brewers coming in. Uh, from out of province. I think we've got one from south of the border as well. You know, so there's going to be a great variety. And I think that's really important to the experience. So, you know, we're going to make sure that uh, there's lots of sampling stations, lots of beer to try, uh, food for those who want it. And uh, the Proud Sons is going to keep us entertained. Now, as badly as you'll want to turn your back on those other breweries from somewhere other than Manitoba, we will extend Manitoba hospitality to them as well. That show up for this event. How do you get the tickets? You get the tickets online through our website. So the, the link is assiniboineparksu.ca slash brew. And right there, there's a button to buy your tickets online. 
It is Brew at the Zoo happening Friday, September 15th, 7 until 10 p.m. at Assiniboine Park Zoo. Laura Kayback is Marketing and Communication Specialist with Assiniboine Park Conservancy. And John Heim, President of the Manitoba Brewers Association and President of Torque Brewing. He brought us some beer. I can hear it calling me. It's just sitting behind me. I'm going to have a hard time making it through the show. The Woody Belgian is just itching to come out and say hello. Uh, traffic and weather. No, just weather up next. I don't know if we can emphasize enough to stay away from Marion as it is closed uh, due to that uh, tragedy earlier today where a pedestrian was killed. Uh, we are updating you on that situation as quickly and as often as we can. So avoid Marion altogether. It is it is, it is shut down for through traffic uh, for the foreseeable future. Greg Mackling, Brett McGarry with you until 4 o'clock, and then we will shut it down. We'll hand the reins over to Julie Buckingham and Hal Anderson, who's in for vacationing. Richard Cluche. Uh, my dad... Uh, shares these things with me on Facebook and my dad uh, does a really good job of handpicking stuff that he thinks I'm going to like. John Anderson is a music historian, former music teacher at uh, uh, Raven's Court, has written books about Neil Young amongst others and he's got a page that uh, is called John Anderson Remembers and on this day, today, August 3rd? Yep. Today, August 3rd, 1974, Canadian songbird Anne-Marie appeared at the Schaefer Festival in New York as the headlining act. The opening act was Bruce Springsteen's E Street Band. Really? Yes. Wow. The boss opening for Anne-Marie. Say it ain't so. That and what, what year was this? 1974. Good Lord. This day in 1974. Were you even born? You weren't even born then. No, that was three years prior. Oh, gee whiz. To my birth. <sighs> I turned that was 40. five. I turned 40 in September. Yeah, I know. Uh, you okay with it? No. No? But I, I mean, hey, I'm no different than anybody else, but I guess uh, a lot of people turn 40 and they don't like it, and I certainly don't like it either. So what can you do? Yeah, just, uh, just party is what you do. You <laughs> yeah. embrace it, and and uh, a lot of your friends will be celebrating 40th birthdays as well. So you can all uh, commiserate and uh, be miserable to, about it together. <laughs> How's that? That sounds like a plan <laughs> as long as uh, there's either some torque or some half pints or uh, any of the many local breweries that uh, John Heim mentioned, uh, Little Brown Jug in there as well, then that sounds like. Uh, I'll be okay. Yeah. Brew at the zoo. Uh, go to the uh, Assiniboine uh, Park Conservancy's website to get those tickets. They will go fast. They've sold 200 uh, already, and they just went on sale this morning. Uh, did did uh, Laura say, uh, Laura Kayback say they had 1,500 tickets they could sell? 1,500 total, yeah. Yeah, this will go quick. So if you want to attend uh, that event, you will uh, want to get your tickets fast. AssiniboineParkZoo.ca slash brew. We have... Stuff to give away. Brew? Is there brew involved? I'm just going to get Jeff Fortier to turn up my computer so I can play some music. No? Nothing? Is your computer broken? Did you is it, break is it? Is it turned on? So it's turned on. Okay, where are, where are you? Which one are you mm. looking for? I can't play it. That well, why don't you put it up good. into the production file, then I can pull it down into my work file, and then All we right. can play it for people. Okay. How's that? Well, let's try that. So okay. you should see that. This yeah, is what happens when things don't go right yeah, in a live radio situation. Sometimes it happens. Uh, do you want to do you want to read it or just I uh, press the yeah, first one? Hit that first one. All right, let's see if it works.
Nickelback coming to Winnipeg Thursday, September 21st at Bell MTS Place. Today's question. How many copies of their album Silver Side Up have been sold? 204-780-6868. How many copies of Silver Side Up have been sold? Need you to call 204-780-6868. And if you know the answer, you could be going to see Nickelback Thursday, September 21st at Bell MTS Place. In the meantime, I don't really know why this didn't play on my computer, so hopefully that's something we can get figured out before Hal Anderson takes over this chair at 4 o'clock. Mm-hmm. I think it's uh, one of those unplug it, plug it back in situations. It might be. I'll see if I can... I'll just crawl underneath and start pl- unplugging everything and see what happens. Yeah, Sounds like off, a great idea. If we go off the air, you'll know why. Brett broke... <laughs> 680CJOB. It's literally in half. Um, by the way, tomorrow, if you don't know already, we'll remind you, it's our pizza slash patio palooza at Santa Lucia. Yes. We want to see it down there because we're going to have uh, lots of special guests on the patio tomorrow, including at 1.30. Eagle and Hawk will be coming down. They are performing as part of uh, CP's uh, Canada 150 train. Oh, cool. Performing at uh, Southdale Community Centre about 5 o'clock tomorrow. We're going to get a little bit of a sneak uh, preview from the, the boys from Eagle and Hawk. Spatch will be there. Vince will be down there. And uh, one other uh, whose name is uh, slipping my mind uh, at the moment. So they're there for 1.30. So come down and see us. Dr. Cyrus will be there and all sorts of other guests. I guess we're hoping for one other very special guest at about 3 o'clock tomorrow afternoon. But I don't want to set any expectations and have it fall through. Uh, but if this individual ends up coming down, uh, you will want to come down and see us and uh, share in the palooza-ing. Yeah, and uh, maybe Greg will be wearing a toque. If that happens, I I might be very (laughs) nicely done. I hope I didn't give away too much on that one. It is 343 while Jeff Forte looks for a winner of the Nickelback tickets. We will pause and then have a look at the traffic situation and your forecast starting in two minutes on 680 CJOB. If you have any information on that situation on the perimeter at Pipeline Road, we know that was uh, really slow, if not stopped altogether earlier this afternoon. We'd love to hear from you. Send us a text, 780-6868. We had one text message from... uh, from a lady who said her daughter was stuck in that traffic and could not go anywhere. So we'd uh, love to hear from you to confirm one way or the other if that's still an issue. Greg Mackling, Brett McGarry, giving way to Hal Anderson and Julie Buckingham, the dream team here at 680CJOB, <laughs> at least for, what is it, uh, one more day? Or are you back in, again next week, Hal? I just found out I'm Jeff Courier next week oh, <laughs> and the week gonna, after. You're going to have an identity crisis before say, this is all over. Can you you should have kept uh, Carolyn around to help. Him out with you that. know what? I'm already smoking cigars to get ready. <laughs> so you might be right about the identity crisis thing. I'm not sure. And I'm calling my wife Jan. <laughs> so there you go. Well, you're basically you, doing what Greg used to do yep, for us exactly. for all those I videos. am now another identity for me. <laughs> now I'm Greg Macklin. <laughs>
Who would have called that 10 years ago? Yes. Nobody, I don't think. Oh, well, hey, I love it, man. Are you kidding? I love it. I, I, I'm, and it's kind of cool doing different shows. Yeah, it is. Yeah, it is. There, there is some advantage to it, without question. You yeah. get to meet a lot more listeners. Mm-hmm. So, Julie Buckingham, what do you have coming up in the news from 4 until 7? Uh, well, we've been talking about a couple of very serious crashes this afternoon. We will have on Brian Smiley of MPI talking about how tomorrow could be particularly bad for crashes as we get set for the long weekend. Not often you have a crash forecast, but yeah. Fridays are bad before a long weekend, yeah, right? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Wayne Arsony is going to be on, and I think this is so cool, Hal. Yeah, the uh, Roseau River, they took a small grant, and they have basically marked off the Roseau River every kilometer. They've got uh, rest uh, spots and picnic uh Spots along the river, and it's for kayaking and canoeing and tubing. So now, in now instead of going to the states, they stay hopefully here and do it. And it's not officially opened or anything yet. But uh, Wayne is going to join us to talk about it. Fantastic! Yeah, really good idea. Yeah, Uh, yeah. Have you guys ever done that? Like gone river tubing? Yep. I've been to uh, Red Lake Falls a couple of times. Okay, I tubed uh, along the Cam in Thunder Bay, and the boys tubed along the river in Phoenix, or just outside of Phoenix. And it's just, to be able to do that here, I think, is pretty amazing. They call that a wash in Arizona. A wash. Really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's probably See, and, and, and Brett mentioned that's exactly what they want to do. They want to get those people, instead of going there, coming, staying on this side of the border and using the Roseau River. What time is that? I want to set my timer. Uh, that is going to be about quarter after five. All right, yeah. thank you. Mm-hmm. And we'll also have on Barbara Bowes of Legacy Bowes, and I think this is a really a cool twist. We've been talking about Premier Pallister's emails since yesterday. Yesterday we talked a little bit about you know the security aspect of that and what you should know when you're sending information. Today the reason we're having her on is, has your boss ever sent you to mop up a mess that they didn't want to do. Heather Stephenson got raked over the coals by many texters today. So I thought, why don't we get an HR specialist? Because it happens at the White House. Uh, the, the the premier sending yeah. Heather Stephenson to, to answer questions instead of doing it themselves. So uh, we'll ask her what happens when your boss asks you to address something that... Well, really doesn't have anything to do with you. Usually it's McGarry uh, who has a boss that takes credit for all his good ideas. So there, that's the flip side to I that, had a right? Boss, I had a boss like that. Mm-hmm. Every good idea I had, it turned into his idea, and I was forgotten. Really? Oh, yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's not you good. fixed that, didn't yeah. you? What do you mean? Well, I bet you nobody can name that boss. Probably he's probably not all that famous, is he? No, no, yeah. exactly. Well, but he, just, he was in this building at one point. Yeah, but you're the 34th greatest Canadian of all time. <laughs> just thinking, you, you won that battle, man. Here's how I can get around getting in trouble. He was one of the seven program directors that I worked for at Power 97. <laughs> there you go. Figure out who it was. <laughs> I, I think I think he's still stuck in the revolving door. <laughs> So what else you have, Julie? Have a bit more time? Okay. Um, interesting story that I found on Global Online. So we're going to talk a little bit about this. We've experienced a ton of heat, right? Mm-hmm. We know it's very hot. We might want to keep the young ones or we might want to avoid the heat by staying inside. Did you know you can get heat stroke even indoors? No, you can't. That story coming up. An Edmonton yeah. woman warning oh. people online that her that her toddler ended up getting heat stroke in their house. Oh, my word. Jeez. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. It's scary. But yeah. I guess it makes sense, though, right? I mean, I hot is hot, whether I, you're inside or outside, you know, right? But it enough, just doesn't come immediately uh, to No, because I think you associate it with the sun, heat stroke with yeah. sun, or we, sun I think stroke. we used to call it sunstroke, right? Well, right? yeah. it's not mm. sunstroke, it's heat stroke. Yeah, so I, I right. thought it was worthwhile bringing forward because it's something when I read the headline, I was Damn like... Damn both of you. Now I have to listen to your show from start to finish and today. And that's, that's not till 637, oh, so yeah, pretty much right miss. to the end. You're in for the whole time, buddy. Oh, boy. Julie Buckingham. Sign me up. Hal Anderson, thank yep. you very much. Thanks, the two guys. of you, the news from 4 until 7 on 680 CJOB. And that is all the time we have. I just need to con- quickly congratulate, where is that winner? Susan Martin has won today's Nickelback tickets. She was able to successfully answer today's trivia question. How many copies of Silver Side Up, which was their third studio album, that was the big one, uh, over 10 million copies as of 2014. Very impressive. I know Nickelback is the butt of a lot of jokes. Even yesterday's winner was joking with us. <laughs> Can I trade these tickets for just about anything else? <laughs> <laughs> anything else you guys have at the station, please? But uh, listen, this is a great Canadian success story. And uh, I've come to realize that there are a lot of Nickelback songs I forgot about that I really, really like. So we have one more pair to give away tomorrow while we'll be sitting on the patio. Santa Lucia Pizza with St. Mary's Road. That's all the time we have. Greg Mackling, thank you. Jeff Forte, thank you. And engineer Mike Geisen is here fixing the computer that wouldn't work for me about 15 minutes ago. Thank you. And thank you for listening to Mackling and McGarry on 680 CJOB.